listening to What's Working. I'm Cam Marston. My 20 years in the business, uh, the seminar business, I've traveled all over and I've been to, I'm guessing conservatively, 500 different conferences and it's probably many more than that. At many of these conferences, I'm one of many people on an agenda where I'm a speaker versus where I'm leading a seminar. And I look at the agenda and I kind of follow the trends of what what is popular in the speaker market, what's popular in the corporate event market, who are the speakers that are out there. And through my time, and particularly post 9-11, the military speakers have always been well-received. There's a group of people out there right now who all have a similar background in that they were Air Force or Navy pilots, fighter pilots. And they travel the country giving presentations using a lot of uh, AV, a lot of sound, a lot of pictures of, of jet aircraft, and it's extraordinarily intoxicating. The, the adrenaline just pumps watching this stuff. And they talk about the mission and the need to bring the team aboard and how this relates to business. There seems to be a Navy SEAL around every corner in the speaker market these days, talking again about the mission and the needs for the team and developing and planning and rehearsing, and you fall back on your training and things like this. They're out there everywhere. But, and I could be wrong here, I'm wide open to being wrong, there aren't a whole lot of these military people that have transferred easily and remarkably successfully into the business world. It seems to me that a lot of their military background has, I won't say, well, has programmed them. And it's hard to break that training so that when they get into the business world, they seem to struggle. There's an exception, and I'm going to interview our exception back from the break. His name is Brad Israel. Brad Israel joined the Army in 2005. He earned his commission through the Officer Candidate School as an infantry officer. He's graduated from Ranger and Airborne Schools. He's led an Airborne Rifle Platoon, Heavy Weapons Platoon, a Scout Reconnaissance Platoon, all in combat in eastern Afghanistan. He earned a Bronze Star. In fact, he earned two Bronze Stars and an Army Commendation Medal with a V device for valor in battle. In February of 2011, Brad earned the title of Green Beret. Suffice to say, this guy has seen a background that most of us have no idea exists. But my question is this, when you're training in the military, the goal of being in the military, certainly in combat, is to eliminate the competition, not to beat the competition, not to win the sale, not to earn the contract, not to go out and... uh, and position yourself, not to brand yourself in front of the competition. It's to eliminate the competition. And the question is, can somebody with this background transfer into the workforce easily? And what is it that they need to know? And what can they teach the workforce? We're going to hear from Brad Israel when we come back from break on what he's learned and what he's doing in his new role in the private sector. You're listening to What's Working. I'm Cam Marston. We'll be right back with Major Brad Israel. Recognized by Business Alabama as a top-tier CPA firm, Russell, Thompson, Butler, and Houston has served small businesses and individuals along the Gulf Coast since 1987 with consistent quality and service. Russell Thompson Butler in Houston is a full-service CPA firm specializing in accounting and auditing services, tax planning and preparation, business valuations, along with general business and financial consulting. To learn more, rtbh.com. 
Think about how people really see you. The kid at the drive-thru just sees a coffee drinker. Please move forward. Your local barista sees the person who loves a smiley face in their latte. See you next time. It's kind of the same way with insurance. Other insurance companies just see a customer. But a State Farm agent sees more. They see you as a neighbor. Your State Farm agent is here to get to know who you really are so they can help life go right. Call me, State Farm agent Allison Horner, and Mobile at 666-1616. We're back. This is Cam Marston. You're listening to What's Working. I have on the line Brad Israel. You heard his incredible accomplishments prior to uh, the break. Brad is going to spend some time giving us some insights on the leadership development that he learned as a Green Beret in the military, as well as other things that he's learned along the way, and how he works with his clients along the way to give them such leadership insights. Brad, I want to begin with a question. Well, first, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you having me, Cam. Let's begin with a question. When I think about military leadership, Brad, what I see in my head is command and control. What I see are people who reflect the name Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf. These guys aren't don't don't seem to be from an outsider looking in relationship builders. They don't seem to be warm, fuzzy people. They seem to be people who have the objective in mind and will do whatever's necessary to achieve that objective. But in reading through your bio and looking at this 360 framework, which you sent me, which I'll also want you to elaborate on, one of the clear things comes through is the relationships that you encourage building with your teams, as well as the relationships you built in your time in the military, which got your people to follow you. As a major, you had to have people follow you. Yet in, in the position of command and control, you can tell them what to do. What is the difference in building relationships versus having people or, or command and control versus having people want to follow you? That's a good question, Cam. I mean, what... What I'd say is probably one of the most simple things to kind of lay the framework is when when I was a senior at Hampton Sydney College up in Virginia, it was a little academic village called Farm in Farmville, Virginia. And my mentor up there, General Sam Wilson, who's one of these noble giants that you um, that, that would parallel with those you spoke of, he was a retired three-star general. And when I told him that I was I was going to pursue the opportunity to go into the service, the 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 real just direct uh, quote that he gave me that I've always tried to live by is he said, take care of the men and the men will take care of you. And when you take a step back and you, and you think about what that means, it really is very simple. Sure, the military is not a democracy and that command and control piece of it is, is pivotal and it comes down to that on-off switch. But to break down the on-off switch, the off switch when you're not in combat and you're back training for that inevitable deployment that's coming up, that's when you really fundamentally work by, with, and through the guys that you've been privileged enough to lead and the gals. And, and you start to understand who they are, where they're from, what are some of the life experiences that they've had, what are some of the struggles along the way that have defined their character or places where they want to improve, how we can help develop them, how they can bring the training that they've gotten through the military and cross-train everyone else so that we can all become somewhat of subject matter experts, enough to be dangerous if one of us gets injured when we are over there 
um, in combat. And, and if something happens, God forbid to any one of us, you can step up and keep going. But it starts by slowing down enough to connect. And you do that by engaging others, by liking them first, by being able to truly get to know them. And they see that it is genuine. I, I could share countless stories with the things that we did from, you know, if it was cookouts at the at the house or when you're out in the field and you have some kind of surprise waiting them on at the end for a, a gratitude share, if it's the wives bringing um, a bunch of food out to the guys or just, just the little things that truly move the needle. So when you do get in stressful, austere, kind of the uncertain, complex environments, that they know that you're willing to stand up and do what's right. And all the time, you're not going to be able to take their advice and input when you have to make decisions on the fly. But when your shared values come to the forefront, you're able to actually start. You don't even have to speak. You're, you're, you're moving almost in unison and you can act in the absence of orders because you know what those around you would do, regardless of if they're there telling you exactly what to do. Because we had that much history. Let me take a, a, a an alternative view to this. Now, you, what you're describing is the military, obviously, but there's an employer listening somewhere who is probably saying, "Don't employees realize they're just lucky to have a job?" Now, in our economy today, maybe they change that, but aren't they lucky that they have a job? Aren't they lucky that they have some sort of benefits that are affiliated with their job? This guy's telling me I need to bake cookies for them at the end of a long, busy day. These people should just be lucky to have a job. What would you tell that person? You know, I, I think that you got to really look at the the long term journey there. I mean, I would disagree because. If you don't start by realizing how fortunate you have to have people that you, you've really paired, you've placed, you've trained, you've equipped, you've developed along the way, and that they're bought in, it's, it's, it's not going to be a fulfilling ride for you no matter how much money you make. And so, I mean, we start every single one of our, our meetings, if it's an executive meeting or if it's a larger meeting, with a gratitude share because we want to set the mind – set and the mentality inside our organization that there there's always something to be grateful for every day. I wear an accountability bracelet on my wrist for three good friends of mine that were killed in combat. Because when I want to start playing that victim card and feel sorry for myself, that's what I can look at and say, you know what, what would they do if they were here right now? They probably wouldn't be acting like that. And I would challenge any employer out there that the ones that they have connected with, think about the same way you treat your family. When you have those positive, enriching, just amazing experiences, why wouldn't you want to create that in your company? But it's it's a degree of vulnerability that some people aren't comfortable with. And so I think it starts with you as a leader and it starts with your behavior because we've all heard, so goes the leader, so goes the organization. If you show up and you're a dumpster fire every day, then what do you think you're going to get in, in a response from those around you? Just like if you show up and you ask somebody how they're doing or how you can help them, in service to them, you're going to see a different response and you're going to see the standards are elevated because people know you care. Define for me the difference between uh, a, a boss, a leader, and a friend. What it sounds like is you're kind of approaching the line of becoming friends with employees. And we've had people on this show who are very wary of kind of conveying to employees 
that they want to be their friends. And one of their complaints is, particularly with the youngest generation in the workplace today, is they want to be friends with their boss. What do you what do you say to that? I don't think so. I think you have to start with what were they hired to do. And I think where the blurred lines happen is when you onboard somebody from the moment they're here, and what I'll compare it to is when you have a young, impressionable private that joins the infantry, when he shows up to that unit, you have a game plan and you have a way to get them there. So as an employee, when they come in, not only are they hired for that job, they obviously have their job description. Their job description is matched with a performance review for them that they will receive four times a year, two formal and two informal. And we will have that nested from the business plan, breaking down if it's their department or where they fit into the bigger picture. And that is what's going to drive those performance metrics that one, if you have the relationship in place, when you go to talk about that stuff, it doesn't feel accusatory or that you're probing or prying. It's you're having a conversation to see, are we able to move the needle? Why are we not? We agreed to some of these things that we've talked about. How do you take that ownership into the process? But if I don't have a relationship there, every time I go and ask them questions, then they've got a knot in their stomach and they have anxiety because maybe for some reason they're behind and they're afraid to tell me. Whatever the case may be, there could be a a hundred scenarios that you could define and that somebody has lived. But if I have a relationship with them, they can look at me and say, hey, I know that we want to have this done by the end of Q3 and uh, we're five days away from that deadline and I'm probably going to be 95% there but I'm not going to have it 100% complete. I'll have it to you that first week into Q4. And I'd be much happier than that with getting some incomplete work or getting something that's full of errors. And they know that what they're going to get from us is the same thing because we're all going to screw up. I've screwed up probably a dozen times already today. And as long as I have the purest of intent and everybody knows that I'm trying as hard as I can to help the company and help our organization – then they're going to extend that grace that I'm going to extend to them too. Let me and ask you. We drive, we drive by our business plans. I mean, that's we're we're hitting that every week, looking at our scorecards as departments so that there's complete transparency with what we have to get done in order to keep the doors open so that we can continue to take care of those employees as well as their families. Is there a consequence in the military for not hitting goals? Does it fall on you in some way? If you've got a staff member a private, let's use your terminology that you just share with me, a private, and he or she just isn't buying in. Uh, how are you accountable to your hires up to this person? Now, in the biz- business world, you don't hit your profitability goals. You have turnover problems. How is there something similar in the military that you're now accountable to? Absolutely. I mean, it starts, you know, you're as the leader of any organization, you're responsible for what that unit does or fails to do. So it certainly rolls up. And, you know, again, it goes back to if they have the right attitude and they are willing to adapt that behavior because it's the direction that we're going, I'm willing to work with them. I will find something that we can make them the best at. Let's take a break here. I want to get back and talk about awareness, which seems to be a big part of it. Let's finish this thought and talk about awareness when we get back. Folks, you're listening to What's Working with Cam Marston. I have Brad Israel. We'll be right back. What's Working with Cam Marston is brought to you by Russell Thompson Butler in Houston, a full-service CPA firm specializing in accounting and auditing services, tax planning and preparation, 
business valuations, along with general business and financial consulting. For a CPA firm devoted to quality, give Russell Thompson Butler in Houston a call at 251-473-5550 or visit them on the web at rtbh.com. Think about how people really see you. The kid at the drive-thru just sees a coffee drinker. Please pull forward. Your local barista sees the person who loves a smiley face in their latte. See you next time. It's kind of the same way with insurance. Other insurance companies just see a customer, but a State Farm agent sees more. They see you as a neighbor. Your State Farm agent is here to get to know who you really are so they can help life go right. Call me, State Farm agent Allison Horner, Mobile at 666-1616. First Protective is a multi-dimensional financial firm specializing in risk management. We blend all dimensions of financial services, offering our producers diverse products to create multiple revenue streams. If you're a life insurance producer or in the traditional investment business looking to grow your business, we can help. Call me, Jay Stubbs, at 251-604-7024 or find me online at www.firstprotective.com. This is Cam Marston. You're listening to What's Working. I've got Brad Israel. Brad's got a heck of a background, folks, in uh, the military. He's a major. He's a Green Beret. He has landed back in his hometown of Mobile, Alabama, and is immediately taken upon leadership roles with some real estate firms, which we'll talk about in a moment. Brad, prior to the break, we were talking about your accountability to your hires up when you can't get your subordinates to do what they're supposed to do. I was unaware that this exists in the military. I thought as just the the major in your title, you can just tell people what to do and they have to do it. But there are challenges. Tell us more about that accountability and how it relates, how it's helped you relate to the business world. Sure thing, Cam. So what we're talking about is really, you know, when you have folks that, that either aren't able to execute on whatever the goals or deliverables of that military unit are, um, or even in the even in the private sector in our context, what we first look at is, is one, are they willing? Do they have the attitude and behaviors to be able to adapt to what the job requires? Have, do they have the skill sets? Because that's almost a prerequisite out the door. Have we done everything possible to train or vet them to make sure that they have that? And then what resources have they been constrained by? Is it, did we bump up the deadline? Did we move the goal line? What are those things that, that may have played a factor? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I even had a few folks that were, that were young non-commissioned officers that were good people in the military that did have good attitudes. Their competencies, they were not able to do what we needed to do in order to achieve the standards that we had set forth. So I still want to take care of that individual, but they're probably going to be asked to go be awesome somewhere else in a different role, probably not on our platoon, but maybe <laughs> in the higher headquarters. What's that? You, did you say go go be awesome somewhere else? That's what I said. Yeah, so in the military, it. that was a term we used to use. And it was, you know, they may not have a role here, but we do believe that there is a place for them. And maybe it's serving in, a, in one of our, um, our support battalions. Maybe it's serving at the battalion headquarters uh, to help the operations sell. Whatever it may be, there, there was something they could do because they were not – they, they didn't have any kind of defiant characteristics where they just didn't want to respect a chain of command. They had just probably reached their capacity at that time. And because of how fast we were moving with our operational tempo, 
sometimes we had to replace those good people with others that were capable and qualified that could come in and take us to the next level. And you look at that within the private sector. You look at some organizations that grow really, really fast, and they end up outgrowing some of the folks that are in leadership roles. And so you can kind of take a, a moment to pause and say, where can we go get this individual additional training so that they can really be able to lead their team effectively? Um, or maybe we need to look at bringing somebody else in that has got that experience that can help train and mentor this individual and put them in a position higher that's commensurate with the growth of that organization. You've sent in advance the 360 framework, and uh -huh. I'm going to post this along with this uh, the podcast, put it on the Facebook page. I want people to see this. Tell me first where this comes from, and secondly, how you do it, and then let's talk about awareness. Sure. So the 360 framework was that starts with the self-awareness, like you said, and so part of this came from Insights Discovery, which you've probably heard of, and it's a self-awareness personality assessment, like many of them out there, but it's the one that spoke to us the most, which we found the most relevant inside our organizations. And that was brought to us by um, a leadership and business coach out of Virginia named Mark Fernandez, who was a, a licensed practitioner. And then since I went and became a licensed practitioner there so that we could administer those assessments and do workshops inside um, our company for new hires, as well as kind of retraining opportunities as teams and departments were growing. But when we look at a 360 framework, one of the most important things as a leader to understand is that self-awareness. And that's who and how you are, And as it says right there on that slide. And so we use the insights because it's going to give you just the, the face value validity test of the intentional you as you show up to work, who you want the world to perceive you as. And we start there because when you, ha when you have a team, you've got diversity of the minds. You may, you may not have, you know, one thing specifically that distinguishes you from another organization, but I would make the argument that all the different personality types, if you put them on the wheel, which is something that Insights does, and you look at where people fall on this wheel, which is really just an identifier of where you fall and where your, your highest energy colors are, then you start to understand what your opposite types are. You start to understand ways to effectively communicate and ways not to. You recognize your blind spots and, and where people are going to kind of perceive that you are. And we put it up outside all our office doors so that if I'm walking into Cam's office and I see his colors, his four energy colors, I quickly can associate with the type of behavior that I may expect out of Cam when I go to interact with them, just like he will know the same for me. Don't when we become when we become aware of ourselves, doesn't that immediately change our, our factors? I guess that's kind of maybe a theoretical question, but uh, I I want to I want to dig into this awareness a little bit. Thinking that the listeners here, most people have a sense, I would guess, of who they are. But my sense in what you're describing is this is a much more in depth thing. How have, uh, when you teach leadership, et cetera, how do you teach people who they are outside of the test? Uh, is there another instrument or another tool? Is there something you can teach the listeners that they can take away and understand 
who they are and how they show up? You know, I mean, I think there's there's a handful of different tools that we use, and I want to make sure I'm I, and, and drill in on me if I'm not if I'm not giving you the the answer that they can really walk away with. But you know, what we when we start with this is kind of our baseline of understanding. What we ask is, you know, that we are able to speak to life examples and stories that can either um, relate or connect with these attributes that you may find in all of our leaders and all of our employees is. You know, where where have there been examples where this has spoken to them and how and how can they share that? Because like we talked about earlier, everybody's got so many different life experiences and perspectives that they bring. And that's that power of perspective that allows us to really understand and do a deeper dive on uh, what makes me different than Nathan Cox, what makes Nathan Cox different than, than Drew Dolan, who's our, our chief legal officer. And I met with, with one of our aspiring leaders who's going to be filling a, a larger role in January, and we went through his, uh, his insights assessment last week and really just kind of dialed in on the areas that he really wanted to improve upon, and it was, it was in the communication side. It was the fact that he's a young leader, he's in his late 20s, and he uh, doesn't ask a lot of questions because he doesn't want to come across as, as ignorant or not knowing the answers. And and so really, how do we break him out of that, out of that comfort zone, out of that bubble to start being more engaging and become aware of those situations where he would normally retreat, but because he recognizes that as one of the things that he truly wants to work on to be the most effective leader who's going to have four people in his department in January, He's going to start. He's going to start doing that as a trigger mechanism every time. We do 360 degree uh, engagement surveys so that we can get candid feedback on our leaders, anonymous feedback from people that are that are peers, that are superiors, and that are that are members of their departments, so that they can look at it. And what's the first response that we all get? We get either upset or we get angry, and then after that, we get defensive. And then after we let emotions kind of settle, we look in the mirror and we say, well, you know what? If that's how I was perceived, that's not how I want to be perceived. Yeah. And that's that self-awareness. That's that intersection right there, right? So that's when they take a stop and they say, okay, I need to change the way that I'm doing some of these things because that's not what my intent is. Yes. And we really, really, really try to impress upon everybody the, the 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 coin term that we all hear, servant leadership. But if you really are interested in helping others and being that one that is always saying, well, what else can I help you with? Do you need, where are your roadblocks? What can I do to help this team push things forward? If everybody starts doing that, it becomes contagious. Yep. And it does become a culture that's self-cleansing because those that don't do it, they're going to be the ones that are on an island by themselves. And Did, so that's what we try to it, – it's, it's almost a positive brainwashing experiment that has worked incredibly well um, for our teams because it, it forces and it really brings to the forefront collaboration. Did the military teach you this, brand, or is this something you've learned outside the military? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I've had amazing mentors along the way from from my parents to, as I told you, General Sam and some other professors up at Hampton, Sydney. And, you know, a beautiful thing about the military is you learn from remarkable leaders and you also learn from some atrocious leaders yeah. and you learn what you don't want to be. And so that experience, if you put it into perspective, I'm also grateful for because I'm able to take that back and say, if I ever feel like I'm headed that direction, I need to take a moment 
and, and look and say, that's, I remember when I did that or when so-and-so was leading that way when we were in combat and it was detrimental to the morale and the strength and just the overall pulse of the organization. So don't go down that road. There is a movement, Brad, we had a guest on uh, earlier, uh, I'm guessing now about five, six months ago, towards mindfulness in leadership, which is, if I'm not mistaken, kind of a Buddhist term of uh, a, a, a different approach to leadership of being very present in each and every moment of what is going on around you as well as what is going on inside of you. Are you familiar with the mindfulness movement? Absolutely. And and I, I would agree with it. I think that, that if you look at the model, the framework that we were just talking about, Cam, so self-awareness is is being hyper aware of your environment, of the ripple effect you have on others, which is that engagement piece. That's how you show up. So the way I show up, I can either be rolling a hand grenade down the office hallway and everybody diving out of the way when I when I enter the building or I can be present and I can be looking them in the eye, having meaningful conversations, connecting with everybody that I interact with, because that's how I want to be remembered. If, if I wasn't here tomorrow, what are they going to say about me when I'm not here? Is it going to be positive or is it going to be a sigh of relief that that, that that guy is no longer a part of this company? And that's the impact that we have. If, 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 we, want to, if we want to affect performance in the most positive, uplifting way, then if they know I've got their back, and I know they've got mine, they're going to be working that much harder to help us hit our goals because it's something that we're all in alignment on. And, and the mindfulness is, is the 360 piece because of reflection. If you're not stopping like we do every 90 days, we do the 90-day sprints is kind of what we call it. And then we're stopping and we're reflecting. We have a, a questionnaire that we send out before we do the performance reviews that is a it's a self-reflective piece, but it also has questions such as what can I do to be a better leader for you and this department? And you would be amazed with some of the answers we've gotten and where the leaders have really hit that hit that wall and said, wow, I never realized I was doing this. And that is not what I want to be known for. So thank you for having the courage, which is one of our core values, to stand up and tell me that I was doing that. We're moving into a break here, and I want to get a question in before the break, and that is, of these uh, these items here, I don't know how else to describe them, you've got awareness, engagement, performance, and reflection. What are the majority of people in your world who are not a part of this reflective stuff uh, that you all teach, but if you were to go through an airport and, and look at a crowd of people, what are most of them weakest on? Awareness, engagement, performance, or reflection? I would undoubtedly say awareness. I think there's so many people that, that walk through life and never really stop and, and try to gain any true understanding of self-awareness. It's just they use the, the cop-outs that you hear of, this is how I've always done it, or everybody needs to respond to me and adapt to me. And again... Sure. Has that worked for people? Absolutely. Have you have you known of plenty of people that have made millions of dollars that I wouldn't consider a leader at all? Absolutely. But if they really want to be able to ever earn that title, then they've got to live it day in and day out. And that starts with self-awareness. Let's finish there. Move on into break. We'll get back. And Brad, I want you to relate combat to business, if it's even possible or even similar. You're listening to What's Working. <laughs> I'm Cam Marston with Brad Israel. We'll be right back. 
probably heard about the new tax laws for 2018. It can be daunting to interpret the laws and nearly impossible to determine the implications for your business. That's where Russell Thompson Butler in Houston comes in. With over 30 years of experience, RTBH offers full-service accounting and financial planning for businesses along the Gulf Coast. To learn how RTBH can help you make sense of the new tax plan, visit the website at rtbh.com. Think about your home. What do you see? Do you just see two stories or the stories of your toddler's first steps? Now think about your car. Do you see an odometer reading or your kids reading in the back seat? Other insurance companies just see a house. They just see a car. But a state farm agent sees what your home and your car really mean to you. So why not give them the protection they deserve? You can reach me, State Farm Agent Allison Horner, at allisonhorner.com. Hi, I'm Jay Stubbs with First Protective. People approaching retirement are concerned about outliving their income and being a burden on their children. They fear chronic illness, and they want to leave a legacy. If you're a life insurance producer or in the traditional investment business and this describes your clients, we can help. Call me, Jay Stubbs, 251-604-7024, or find me online at firstprotective.com. Marston, you're listening to What's Working with me is Brad Israel. And something that he has done that I'm betting most of us have not is spent time in combat in eastern Afghanistan in the mountains. Brad's resume is remarkable, an extraordinary military background. He went to officer candidate school. He's a Green Beret. He's won the Bronze Star. Brad, did I see twice? Is that right? That is correct. Second Bronze Star, a meritorious service medal for leadership in the 7th Special Forces Group. Brad can combat in any way be similar to business? I think it can. I think you've got to really look at what you're speaking about when you want to make that that parallel. But, you know, and, and obviously take it a few steps back when you're not necessarily talking life or death, although there are roles in the business world in healthcare in a hospital where you potentially could be. And and that I'm gonna I'm gonna run with that one because something that comes to mind is, you know, we used to have a saying in combat, complacency kills. And the enemy, when we're living in either the side of a mountain or in a village in Kandahar or Paktika in eastern Afghanistan, the enemy's not wearing a uniform. So they're, they're in the sea of people that you're trying to build relationships with, and you don't know what they're doing to uh, observe, detect, um, establish patterns of we're all creatures of habit. So where are we walking? Where are we vulnerable? Where can they hit us? How can they hit us? What are they going to do to get away from us? All those things we have to be hyper aware of when we're over there. And we've got folks that are that are looking, that, that are almost like a linebacker with his head on a swivel, trying to identify who are our threats, who's the friend, who's the foe, and, and collect on us just as we're trying to alienate and isolate the enemy by building those relationships. And so an example I can give you is, we uh, we had a, a very interesting relationship with a bomb maker that was from a village where we were living, and he had he had really recognized how well we were doing with winning that village over, and so he made it his personal mission to really hone in on us and started um, putting daisy chain where they where they buried different improvised explosive devices in the ground 
and putting them out where he could use a remote control device, such as a phone or a garage door opener, to try to inflict mass casualties on on my men and I when we were out doing dismounted patrols from village to village to go engage the locals. And my guys were were so incredible, Cam. They could pick up on things that were just out of place, which 99.9% of others would never realize, like when a rock had been moved or when it looked like somebody had just been there, yet we hadn't seen anyone. And so this one day, they they, they recognized that. We ended up pulling six little coffee can, um, Folgers coffee can size bombs out of the ground after we had gotten to the high ground. And we had obviously run he and his cronies off. And we pulled those out and we taught a class to the locals on how complacency kills and what they need to be recognizing if they're going to be taking ownership of their village. And he also did it with a, a donkey. He put rockets in the back of a burlap sack on a donkey and staked it to the ground and tried to blow us up that way. And and I share these stories with you because, you know, we had to focus on that every day. We had checklists and we, we had accountability measures in place with our inspections, with communicating with recognizing where one of us may be going and, and why or how I was going to kill him if I was the enemy. And so it always was in conversation. It's what we talked about. And when you think about the business parallel there, if if we're not, if we think that we're, we're high on the hog and, and we're really doing well and everything's working and we're not constantly looking from that mindset of how we're going to improve, then the competition is going to pass us. And the only person we can be mad at as ourselves because we settled for where we were and we did not try to think unconventionally or what's the next thing that we can be doing to continue to make sure that we're mastering that relationship, we're mastering our product. The hospital example, it was just like when they started introducing checklists into the hospital and giving everybody a voice when they were in the operating room. It wasn't just the surgeon that could speak up if they saw something going wrong. Those are the ways that you counter that complacency in the workforce is by giving everybody a voice, empowering them with absolute clarity and then making sure you're always thinking from that growth mindset of there's a better way. we got to always be watching this. I don't want to be outcompeted by the competition. And if I think about it from that mindset, that's what's going to distinguish me from everyone else. What about you went into these villages, you had to make friends, you had to become a uh, an ally of the villagers, let's say. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm using that right or if that's indeed what you did. Mm-hmm. But you came in, made an impression, and just like you said, that you began to gain headway with the villagers, and one of the people there saw it as a threat and tried to attack you for that. Is there a parallel into going into uh, a new team or a new company, for example, as a consultant into a company? What was the process of becoming allies with the natives? And is there a, are these steps that you would repeat, let's say, if you were to go into another company as a consultant where you're developing a relationship or you've been hired by a new company and you're stepping in for the first time and you want to show the quote unquote villagers that you're trustworthy, you're with them, that you understand them. What was that process? And can you relate that to any uh, workplace environment? Sure. So the the process over there was you know, we, we, it almost fell in our laps just because we were so frustrated. When we moved into this one village, we had recovered probably 20 plus, 25 plus improvised explosive devices on one day and then multiple more just to get there. And we figured when we arrived that we would be heroes because we had just opened up the lines of, of, of trade and communication back to Kandahar City. And when we got there, nobody wanted to talk to us. And so we were dejected. We were getting rocketed, getting shot at, sleeping on the side of a mountain. 
in snowstorms for four weeks until we finally started to build some rapport with the locals. And we started that because I had four interpreters that were gainfully unemployed because nobody would speak with us. None of the elders would or tribesmen would talk. So we started teaching uh, the kids and we started listening and learning more about their village. We knew a lot about their culture because most of us had been there before and we had, we had studied it. But as we started to truly dissect that specific village, we had stories that we could relate to, that we could share with them. And then we were able to pinpoint some of the fathers of those children that we were teaching through our interpreters, arithmetic and Pashtun and, and how to write out their letters. And, and we went and we went and, and met them at night and asked if they would let us come in and talk to them. And it, so it's really, it starts with kind of taking inventory you know, preparation of the battlefield is, is one of the things that we do and just and just understanding your environment. And that's what I would say is is what would work as well going into any organization is, is get to know the people, get to understand what's going on, what's working, what's not working, why isn't it working, what's you know, what what are the relationships inside these teams like? And and then just being consistent every day and showing up and showing that you care. And by doing that, you're going to build that trust that's so necessary to be able to move any organization. And so I think the number one dysfunction of any team, doesn't matter if it's in the military or in the private sector or, or civilian context at all, is, is, is the lack of trust. And so that's what we did with the locals, and it worked because we endeared ourselves to them by building relationships with their children and teaching them and investing in them. And the same thing can be said for your organization. Invest in your teams. Invest in your leaders. Start setting the conditions for the next generation, either internally and organically, or those that you aspire to to bring in from another organization. Start investing in those relationships so that you can watch them grow and flourish. And they will always, always feel that connection and deeply indebted because of what you did for them. And I don't think there's any greater calling than if we have people that leave here and go on and achieve extraordinary things, that we were a part of that. And I, I would hope that they would say the same thing for us. And we'll be the first ones. And Nathan Cox, who's one of my best friends and the CEO and founder of 68 Ventures, said the same thing. If, if somebody wants to leave, we'll give them a hug and tell them how much we appreciate them and do everything we can to help them go out and be successful. What has surprised you the most, Brad, about coming out of the military into the business world? What caught you off guard? It was that just it was the lack of trust. You know, when you when you go to ranger school or you go to any of these courses, I don't know you from Adam. And immediately I get thrown into a leadership position. And my evaluation, my go, if you will, depends on you taking the orders from me, not knowing me at all, being able to do your job to help the team when and if that's on a raid or if that's on a reconnaissance mission or a movement to contact whatever it is in that in that environment i've got to put all my faith and trust in you and then over time because we're together day in and day out and there's no there's no opportunity for you to be anybody but who you truly are we build that relationship over time but it started with trust and when i'm when i when I came into the into the private sector, that was the thing that I saw that lacked the most was everybody always thought there was an angle or what were you in it for? 
and and you had to really just prove yourself and showing up every day until some people would put their guard down. And what alarms me with that is somewhere along the way that has happened to them. And that's what is trained their minds to immediately go to the negative as opposed to the positive. And so that's been a tough adjustment for me. And, and it's something that I want to stay committed to, to make sure that we create that, that culture where it does start with trust. Is there anything remotely similar in my world to what it's like being in the military or being in combat? What's the closest thing someone like me could experience to that? Ask, ask that in a different context, Cam. What do you, what do you mean exactly? The, the world of the military, and particularly mm-hmm. in combat, is nothing that I've ever faced before. My suspicion is most people listening, it's nothing they've ever faced before uh, as well. Based on what you've seen in the military, what you've seen in the combat, as well as what you've seen as a civilian as, and as a businessman, what's the most similar environment that I, as a civilian, would ev- experience to being in the military or being in combat? I think it's probably when you're facing some of the most difficult decisions you've ever had to make. And so if that's, you know, something that's so risky, but you have to do it because the business is going to survive or fail based off your ability to be decisive and, and get behind it and sacrifice so much to see it come through would probably be the closest thing because that's, that's how we are. I mean, you get over there and you're, in these austere environments cut off from the entire world, but folks continue to put one foot in front of the other and trust each other and realize that they are going to be okay. And they realize that they are going to be able to accomplish what they set out to do because when that fear sets in and it sets in for everybody, we fall back on what we know. And one is that incredible and powerful belief in one another and then we would revert back to what we were trained on. And so instinctually, habitually, that's the role that we go into. It's almost robotic. It's programmed when your back's against the wall, that that's how your mind shifts. And so I would say that probably for, for anyone in the, in the business environment, it's, it's realizing that you are going to hit the crossroads when it's, it's growing or when it's surviving, depending on what market and industry you're in. Um, and what you're going to have to do and how you're going to have to rally around one another in order to see it through on the other end. And if you don't have that trust, it's not going to work. And that's why I go back to what we originally talked about is I've got to have the relationships there in order to know that the trust is working both ways so that when we hit those, those walls, we can climb over them or we can bust right through them as opposed to letting it absolutely envelop us. Brad, I appreciate your time. This has been fascinating. I'm grateful for your insights. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it, Cam. It's always great speaking with you and having the opportunity to share a little bit about what we do. It's impressive. I appreciate it. Folks, we'll be right back with closing comments. You're listening to What's Working. Thanks again, Brad. Recognized by Business Alabama as a top-tier CPA firm, Russell, Thompson, Butler, and Houston has served small businesses and individuals along the Gulf Coast since 1987 with consistent quality and service. Russell, Thompson, Butler, and Houston is a full-service CPA firm specializing in accounting and auditing services, tax planning and preparation, business valuations, along with general business and financial consulting. To learn more, rtbh.com.
Life insurance is one of those subjects that make people want to change the subject rather than admit they probably don't have enough. I'm State Farm agent Allison Horner, and that's why I focus on how the benefits of life insurance actually live on by asking people to think in terms of life without having to sell the house insurance or life without having to give up college insurance. Find out how the benefits of life insurance can live on for your family. Call me, State Farm agent Allison Horner, and get to a better state with State Farm. This program is also brought to you by my company, Generational Insights. We've been in the seminar business for 20 years, working with clients ranging from Fortune 500 executives to locally owned mom and pops, helping them improve their sales, their management, their recruiting, and their retention. We give knowledge first and then build tools based on that knowledge that make people more successful at their jobs. And soon, we'll add customer service training. Check us out at cammarston.com. What I wish I could have asked Brad Israel, had we not run out of time, is after having seen what he's seen in the military and particularly in combat, and after having made his transition into the business world in a remarkably successful way, how would he raise his children differently? What would he do? Now, he's got young children, so he still has great opportunity ahead. The oldest is six. But what is he doing now? Maybe that's the best way to say it knowing what he knows and having seen what he's seen. It's a question that I think many parents struggle with is, what would I do differently with raising my children to best prepare them to be adults and contributors to their workplace and to the workforce around them? How would I best prepare them for the world that I see coming? And what would I do differently? I know it's a question that my wife and I deal with. As I'm talking to you right now, we have one of the doors of our children's bedroom off the hinges so that we can see in there at any given time. Let me read something to you, uh, this, this challenge about children and frustration with child rearing and how to prepare them for the workplace and what's coming, etc. is by no means unique to our time. So let me read this and see if you can't guess who said it. Some of you will know because it's somewhat of a popular quote. Here's the quote. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants. They are not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, and tyrannize their teachers. Who do you think said it? Here's the answer. Socrates. Socrates, the ancient Greek philosopher, 399 to 469 B.C., the guy's been around a long time ago and was experiencing many of the same challenges that you and I face on a regular basis. But I think looking forward, which I try and try and try to do, uh, of, of the opportunity that lay ahead versus chagrins in our background, you look at a guy like Brad Israel and see what he's done to the people who he has led the way he's led them and trained them, the way he's invested his time and intention in them. And my hypothesis is it doesn't matter what the title of the generation that Brad led is, Xers, Millennials, Matures, Silence, etc. What Brad has learned through the military and what today, frankly, I am learning late in the game is that the engagement and the care and the concern of people 
that's evident in your behaviors on a regular basis? The questions you ask, the attention you give as people answer the question, the follow-up questions you have, and the changes of behavior which you do as a result of these engagements visible to this person is what creates a team, is what creates loyalty. Brad and I talked about mindfulness. We talked about awareness of the self, and I don't think those characteristics are unique to this time. In fact, mindfulness has been around for thousands of years. It's what people look for, and it's what I and you need to consider with our own families and our own teams. If you have thoughts on the show or you have feedback on the questions that I asked or questions that I should have asked, questions you'd like me to reach back out to Brad and ask back on the air, how about sending them our way? Very eager for your thoughts on the show. You can do it one of three ways. Number one, email cam, C-A-M, at cammarston.com. Secondly, you can have phone or text 251-260-8100. I'll say it again, 251-260-8100. That is our phone text hotline. And then you can come to the website that we keep on Facebook. Enter What's Working with Cam Marston into your Facebook search bar, and it'll get you to this page. You can see the different guests that we're working on, ideas that we have. If you have suggestions for guests or topics, I'll take it any one of the three ways. We're very eager to engage with you. Let us know what you think. If you want to listen to the show again or send it to friends or colleagues or family members that you feel would find it interesting, you can find the podcast. Go to my website, cammarston.com. That's C-A-M-M-A-R-S-T-O-N.com. Across the the top of the page is the podcast link. Click on it. You can find those podcasts as well as links to how to send it on so that you can listen to it or send it on to friends, as we've said. We'll have another show for you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.